Hey, Wyoming. Welcome to the Lawn and Garden Podcast with the University of Wyoming Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and co-host Jerry Urshabek. Originally aired on KGOS and KERM in Torrington, join Jeff, Jerry, and all their special guests as they talk all things gardening in the great state of Wyoming. From plant variants to weather events to pesticides and pollinators, our Lawn and Gardening Podcast helps you improve your home garden as well as your small acreage. So let's welcome Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshabek. Good morning, everybody. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshabek for the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. Good morning, Jerry. How are you today? Hey, really good. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Nice to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, that's uh, the radio joke, right? Yeah, it's always the radio <laughs> joke. <laughs> Our guest today is Amy Seiler. She's the Director of Parks, Recreation, and Leisure Services for the City of Gehring. So uh, good morning, Amy. We're really glad to have you here. Good morning. It is always great to get to spend some time with you guys. So thanks for the invitation. Before we get started, we're going to take a few minutes and listen to our sponsor. This summer, Wyoming First Lady Jenny Gordon's Wyoming Hunger Initiative the Sensible Nutrition Program, and the University of Wyoming Extension are partnering to launch a program called Grow a Little Extra. We invite you to join us in growing a little extra to donate fresh produce to local anti-hunger organizations that support our neighbors facing food insecurity. Stop by your local Extension office to pick up your free seeds or donate extra from your garden harvest. For more information, visit www.nohungerwyo.org slash grow, www.nohungerwyo.org slash grow. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. I'm Jeff Edwards, along with Jerry Urstebeck, and our guest today is Amy Seiler. So, uh... Let's just hop right into it, Amy. What do you want to share with us today? <laughs> you know, it's been a while since we've got to visit. And obviously, um, I think the last time we talked, things were dormant. And we were just talking about looking forward to spring. Well, spring has arrived. And I kind of anticipated this, but I was hopeful. We have seen significant mortality in some of our trees and shrubs. And that was due to that crazy cold temperatures that we had last October. And so what, was, you're, what you're actually saying is some of that dormancy is now permanent. Yeah, so that's a permanent dormancy for some of those things, which is, <laughs> you know, I, I like to hold out hope as long as possible, but we're June 1st. And if some things haven't leafed out, we need to really start looking at making some decisions. So, you know, I want to acknowledge to everybody that it was a rough winter. Um, it was a rough yeah. fall. I think that the fall started and then we had an open, dry, kind of warm winter, and that kind of added to the, the injury to the trees. And so they are under a lot of stress. And so not only did we lose some things, but we have trees that are stressed. And I think it's important that we talk about today some of the things that we can do to help alleviate some of that stress for our trees and shrubs and other plants in our landscapes. Yeah, it's always tough to make that decision to completely eliminate something or start over in your landscape and unfortunately i i took out two uh yesterday so um uh it, it was a tough decision but 
I bit the bullet and cut them off because <laughs> well, they weren't coming back. <laughs> they, they weren't coming back. And, you know, the, the other thing that's really difficult is, you know, us, us plant people, we're hopeful people and you don't want to give up hope. You're like, oh, you know, only half of it's dead. I think I can I can get it to recover. And it's really important to know, especially in woody plants, trees in particular, once trees kind of start that downward, we call it the death spiral, they may not die instantly, but it's a process that they really can't recover from. And right. so you, you have to determine, okay, how much of the tree have I lost? Because if you've lost over 50%, even 40%, the likelihood of your tree recovering from that is way less. And so you need to determine, should I just remove the tree and get something started? Or am I just going to kind of sit here and watch it suffer for the next five, honestly, to seven years? You're not going to get a lot of growth out of it. It'll just continually start to decline. And so you have to determine when shall I remove it now or later? And so Jeff, it sounds like you made a tough decision this weekend. Yeah, so when you're in that type of situation and you know it is in decline, is it a is it a okay, so you don't want to take it out. You're you're stubborn. You think it's gonna you think it's gonna pull out of it somehow. Would you recommend possibly planting a companion tree next to it to try to get a start before you take the other one out? I know that can be a little bit of a problem when you go to take the next one out, but you know, you don't want to be left with a blank hole. What do you what do you recommend? You know, I, I like where you're going with that. And they have, have started using the practice that you're suggesting. We call it shadow planting. And that's what they're doing in communities that have a large number of ash trees and they have to kind of manage the ash removal through emerald ash borer. So what they're doing is they are planting trees next to ash trees with anticipation that those ash trees are going to be coming out in the next five to 10 years. And then you already have another tree established. Now, the thing that you do need to think about when you are making that selection is what types of trees that you're planting, because some trees only want to grow up in open, sunny environments. And some trees are very tolerant of kind of growing up in the shade of other trees. And so when you're going to the nursery and making those decisions, you want to talk to your nursery professional and kind of find out what trees would be better growing in the shade of others. And, and I, I talked to you guys about this periodically, but using that, that old forest management philosophy or um, of pioneer species, those are the trees that want to grow up in the sun. That's like the aspen and a lot of the oaks and those types of things. Those are pioneer species that kind of come in and start to reestablish the forest early on. And then you have your late succession trees, which are, you know, we'll talk about not Western United States, but Eastern United States. Those are like maple and buckeye. Those trees can grow up in the shade of other trees. So using that example, we could place, um, if you have a tree that still has some decent canopy, you could place a buckeye or that, that tree likes to grow up in the shade of others. Sometimes if it's in full blazing sun, it'll, it'll get a little bit of scorch on its leaves. Mm. So buckeye would be a good one for people to kind of put in the, the shadow of another tree. You know, I'm not going to make suggestions for a lot of maples, but maple is another one of those that can handle a little bit of shade. So just digging in with your nursery professional and finding out what what trees would be best to grow up in the shade of others, that's going to be my recommendation to the listeners. 
So how do I train the squirrels to plant my baroque uh, <laughs> acorns in the right places? You know, I I don't know. I, I have just really lucked out. I have the most amazing squirrels that have put oak trees in the most strategic locations in my yard. And so it always makes me sad when I want to trap them and, and send them somewhere else because I'm like, well, they do a couple good things in my yard. <laughs> so a friend of mine gave me a bucket of of black walnuts and he said just put it at the base of any tree and allow your squirrels to plant them i never had one come up because they ate them they ate them <laughs> <laughs> so thanks thanks for lunch uh you know my squirrels have been really good about placing my oaks well but they have been terrible about placing black walnut I don't know. The ground must have been pretty soft, but around by um, we have an electrical transformer in our backyard, and that is the only place that they will plant um, black <laughs> walnut is right around that transformer. I have baby walnuts coming up everywhere. It's it's crazy. I but so I do you tell you, I do love stuff that grows from seed because you know it actually wants to be there. If it doesn't germinate, it's you know there could be a variety of reasons, but if it grows up into a decent seedling, you know that it likes the soil, it likes the environment. So I sometimes I just kind of rearrange my landscape to appease where the trees are coming up. We have a uh, lot of, of thornless honey locusts, and we have trees coming up like crazy. And, and you know, some of them get kind of big, and, you know, you, you hate to chop them out, but they're at an inappropriate place. And we've always said, we need to pot those and then start our own little forestry sale. So, but I only I have, have one species. <laughs> well, you know, we do want diversity, Jerry. Absolutely. But, um, do, but let me ask you this question. Let's go off on tangent, guys, because we're really good at that. But so your honey locusts, are they, are they suckers from the mother tree or are they seedlings that have sprouted up? Seedlings. Okay. Very interesting. So they're thornless, but they do produce a seed. Correct. Oh, interesting. it's a it's a big it's a big pod. It's about mm -hmm. oh six to seven inches long. Yeah, interest. Well, I like those honey locust pods. I know I'm in the minority, but um. I, I do too. <laughs> I have friends that just hate the crap out of them. <laughs> well, the squirrels oh. like them. They're always squirrels, chewing them. squirrels will dig them. We we mulch them so. Uh, we just take the lawnmower and run over them 17 times and hey, they're gone. That's why maybe you have so many seedlings. Maybe we're spreading yeah, them. that's probably true. Yeah. Now, you know, for your listeners, um, if they want to get some honey locust started, there is a, you know, there's, I would not normally recommend growing honey locust by seed because number one, generally those that have seed that grow from seed are, are have thorns. And that's kind of an undesirable characteristic. Unless you're in the country and you're just needing to get some trees up and going, you know, that's probably not the best thing for a an urban landscape or a community landscape because those thorns are so nasty. But if if you're trying to get some of those to germinate, they have to be, there's two ways that seeds, um, they have to go through a process. One is a stratification process where they have to be chilled of course, or it has to be at certain temperatures. And then the other is a scarification process, which that seed coat has to be softened and scratched off. And the honey locusts go through a scarification. You have to soften that seed coat 
And a lot of times the way it's softened is through the gut of an animal. And then, then it is um, softened enough. But if you don't want to kind of go through scat in your yard looking for honey locust seed, there's a couple different ways that you can soften that seed coat. And I'd suggest that listeners look it up. But I know in my propagation class in college, we, we did several different methods to soften that seed coat. I'm not going to tell you to use hydrochloric acid, but I know that's one of them that we, one of the things that we did use to soften the coat. But if people are really into propagating, I know there's some great literature out there that could assist people, but honey locust is one where you have to get that seed coat softened. So I, I have a uh, locust in my yard that has the thorns and produces a lot of pods. So every, everything that come up, comes up, I'm assuming is the thorny variety. So uh, if anybody wants some of those, <laughs> and, and we'll have a little digging party. <laughs> so, uh, his, oh, his, ahead, and those thorns are sharp and they're long and man, a kid trying to climb that tree would, would come away bloody. You know, one of the yeah. benefits is that the deer leave them alone. Right. Oh, it's yeah. a, it's a mechanism for them to protect themselves. Um, which is, you know, I just think that nature is so fascinating what, what it has adapted or so that it can protect itself. Um, that, and I always wonder, does it, does it keep the squirrels away too? I, I think the squirrels <laughs> are so slick that they can kind of navigate through that a little bit, but it, it doesn't slow the squirrels down at all. <laughs> <laughs> now, and now you're going, keeping on that topic of the honey locust. Now, you know why we have seedless and non-seedless, right? Well, I think I have my ideas, but why don't you tell us? Well, I, you know, we're just quizzing people. Um, so honey locust is male and female. There are male trees and there are female trees. And what they've done in the industry is they've gone and they have selected, they've found trees that don't have any thorns. And so they, they've started to propagate trees from from that parentage is how they started this, this seedless and thornless. And then they started figuring out that they were obviously male and female. So they only propagate from the thornless male trees. And therefore you have a thornless seedless tree generally. So the really interesting thing about trees is that they're male or female and until they're stressed out. And so when a male honey locust gets stressed and, you know, they're, they're not human, so it's not exactly like us. It actually can start to produce seed pods. And that is just so that it can continue its lineage, which I think is pretty cool. But yeah, um, yeah trees are amazing and adaptable and they are always finding a way to survive. So Amy, uh, every time I have people at my yard and we look at the honey locust that I have versus the thorny locust, is the thorn version some sometimes called a black locust or is it still a honey locust, only the thorned version? It is still a, it's a honey locust. Um, it is the thorned version. So the Okay. The black locust is actually a totally different genus and species completely. It's that's called it's I believe that is Robina, which has the pretty purple flowers on it. Okay. So I do not have a black locust. I have a thorny honey. I have a really thorny honey locust. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. 
So I also have a, a lemon honey locust. And so the leaves are a really, really, really light yellow, 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 yellow green. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just doing really, really well. So is it called lemon or is it called sunburst? Probably it's called sunburst. I, okay. I, would, I would defer to you. Jerry has just renamed it. <laughs> I, I, I actually kind of like the name lemon. It seems really fresh, but um, I think it's a sunburst, Jerry. Unless, sunburst. unless there's a different cultivar that I'm not familiar with. Yeah. And so if you, uh, I, as the, the extension guy, I would get calls on, you know, why is my tree yellow? Well, if it's that variety, it's not going to get any greener than no. that. <laughs> so, Something's uh, wrong with my tree. Yeah. So uh, there are varietal differences that cause it to look like that. And, and um, it won't change color. It's supposed to be that color. And there exactly. are a few, there are a few around Torrington and some of them are huge. We, we've made it a quest to drive around Torrington and looking at our flowering trees and bushes. And now they're seemingly going away. The lilacs are still blooming pretty well, but now the iris are taking hold. And so we still drive around those same blocks and, and look. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's going to be an Irish year, Jerry. Our Irish patches are just loaded. Loaded. <laughs> are they starting up pretty hard for you? Oh yeah. Um, they, this weekend, this last weekend, they started opening up and, um, but there's just full of stocks, uh, with flowers. So yeah. they're going to be pretty showy here in the next five, 10 days. Oh, how exciting. So going back, we're either looking at a maple or a buckeye to put underneath those ashes. Yeah. So, or, or any tree that's kind of struggling. And, you know, Jerry, I, I would be really hesitant to, to, throw out maple and, and encourage that in our neck of the woods. And that kind of leads me to, you know, that, that conversation that we said we might want to start off with is, you know, what did we see make it through the winter and what didn't make it through the winter and maple, like a sugar maple. I've noticed some that have done somewhat well are looking really, really tough this spring. And so I, I'm always hesitant to encourage that planting that because it's kind of on the edge it's marginally hardy and so but ohio buckeye if you get it from the right seed source that would be a really good one and for people it has a little bit different shape and it has um it does have a buckeye that it produces so if people don't want to mess in their yard they they may want to avoid it but i'll tell you my squirrels i don't ever see a buckeye on the ground my squirrels take every single one of them and plant them in strategic locations in my landscape. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that maple isn't one of them because we planted a hot wings maple and gee, it wintered well. And it's just a, it's just a, a six foot stick. So Jerry, <laughs> really? So it, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the diameter is, is probably, you know, bigger than a pencil, of course, but maybe a three quarters of an inch going up up the stock and it's about six foot tall that's about okay so that's about the only maple that i've seen come through the winter okay but the ones i've seen are a little yellow and i think that's because there was probably a little bit of root damage that occurred so they're having a hard time pulling up everything all the nutrients that they need to be fairly healthy you know the maples that people love like sugar maple um red maple those that everybody wants in their yard for the fall color. You know, they just, 
those really struggle out here. Very seldom do we see any that get to maturity out here. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but there aren't a lot. And so yeah. we certainly don't want people to rush out and, and buy maple to plant underneath a, a tree that's half dead. I think there's some some better options out there. The Buckeye, you know, uh, some of the lindens I think would be just fine in the understory of, um, because that is another one that kind of comes along later. So you could do American linden, um, little leaf linden would probably be okay. So those would be some that I would suggest. So Jerry's li- taking notes. Uh, yeah, I'm taking notes. Small leaf or, or large leaf? Linden? Um, Amer- yeah, American linden is the larger leaf. And the little leaf linden, and American linden's native to the United States. The little leaf linden, which has a, a little bit more strongly pyramidal shape, that would be another one that your listeners could try in the under in the understory of other trees. Yeah, I have, and you know, and and hackberry. Honestly, hackberry is ridiculously good about growing in the shade of others. And you know, and this is this is a terrible example, but notice how well it does seeding down in your alley and kind of growing up in the shade of, of other trees. That's a, that's a prime example of it, it can kind of handle that. And so, and, and hackberry is a tough tree has come through our winters really well. And so that one would be a really reliable one that they could incorporate into the landscape. And how far away from your trunk of your ash tree? You want to be able to dig in the ground and you're going to have some pretty good sized roots. And so I'd say that probably six to eight feet would be ideal shadow planting. That would be my suggestion. So you don't want yeah. to go right in right next to it. No. Uh, and and they, it'll, and another reason, and Jerry touched on it earlier is because you've got to get in there and remove that tree eventually. And so you don't want to be right on top of your other tree because the likelihood of them accidentally dropping something on it is pretty great. So yeah. 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 Give those tree handling guys a little bit of room. Yeah, yeah, they would appreciate it. Yeah. And so then you won't a- be mad at them if they, they squish your tree either. Yeah. <laughs> plan accordingly. Yeah, exactly. This, this past weekend, I saw a guy taking down a tree in Guernsey. He ha- I stopped because the chainsaw that he had was a 42-inch blade. I cool. mean, he was taking down a big tree, but holy cow, what a big machine. Isn't it fun just to kind of see the the art of, of actually felling trees. It's, it's pretty amazing. And especially when you have the right equipment. Yeah. And the right people doing it. Correct. Now yes. I've, I've done it before and thank God we didn't botch it so that we hurt ourselves too much. But <laughs> you know, if you're going to take down trees, you need to know what you're doing and it's not an on the job training kind of activity. And especially where there's danger of striking a building or a vehicle, you or really people. need to be careful. Or people, you or need people. to be really careful. Well, yeah. and I think everybody needs to remember that. Besides, I think the Alaskan crab fishermen, um, forestry and tree work is the second most deadly job out there. And so people, and there's a reason for it. And people need to take that seriously. And I think everybody thinks, oh, I know how to, I know how to cut down a tree. But if there's any decay in a tree, sometimes those trees respond way differently than what you would expect. And that's when those injuries happen or when you don't set things up correctly. Um, 
a tree branch will swing in a different location and and maybe take your ladder out. And so it's it's really important that when you get into those bigger trees, you have a professional do it. It it really is important. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you know what? I think it's uh, about time to take a break and listen to our sponsors. And I believe after this, we're going to be talking about uh, edible landscapes. Looking for the best way to keep up with all the news from University of Wyoming Extension, the College of Agriculture, and Wyoming Ag Experiment Stations? The uwagnews.com website features real-time education, research, and extension events, and feature stories from across the state. Bookmark uwagnews.com today and subscribe to our monthly email newsletter, uwagnews.com, growing people, knowledge, and communities. All right, everybody, we're back. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshabek for the KGUS KERM Lawn and Garden Program, along with Amy Seiler. And uh, we were talking general tree issues before the break, but uh, I think one of the things that Amy wanted to address is uh, the possible planting of edible landscapes, which uh, is something near and dear to me. I, I prefer to harvest something edible off of the things that we plant. So, uh, Amy, what's on your mind about that today? <laughs> well, you know, um, I really wanted to talk about this just because I was planting in my yard yesterday and I'm so entertained by this. You know, I think that sometimes we we get caught up in the notion that we can only have vegetables in our vegetable garden and we can only have flowers, you know, along the foundations of our house. And I've, I've kind of ran out of sun in my landscape in, in certain spots. It, or my, my garden area that's kind of designated my garden, it, it hardly gets any sun. And so I've decided that I'm going to start sticking things in other locations. And I've actually been doing this for several years. But I think that it's always you always want to be walking through your landscape and experiencing it. If you're if you're a gardener, there's there's always got to be a reason for you to kind of want to go out there and see what's going on. And when you kind of tuck some of these little edibles in your landscape, you're you're much more engaged in the whole landscape. And so in years past, I have tucked broccoli in my landscape beds right around my patio. And I love it because I'll be honest, I'm not the best gardener, but I can walk out of my patio and say, oh, I've got a couple little broccoli heads that are ready and can just grab those at a moment's notice. And they really do look good in that landscape. The foliage, the the coarseness of that large foliage is really cool. And sometimes if I forget to go out and harvest my broccoli, I don't know if anybody has let their broccoli flower and, and go to seed, but that is one of the coolest plants in the fall that it's incredible for the pollinators they are all over it and so kind of when you're done with broccoli let some of those um, go to seed and the flower is really pretty in my opinion it's a really bright yellow flower and it it looks great in the landscape and so I like to tuck a little bit of broccoli here and there another plant that I use I love kale in my landscape I love that funky foliage that it has. I think it adds great texture. It's a really good companion with other plants that I have. So I use the kale and I will have zinnias around the kale. I have some agastache around the kale and it just is another layer in the landscape. And then my kale periodically will come back the next year because I think it's a biennial if I remember correctly. And so I, 
I love the flower on the kale the next year too, because I'll let it flower out and seed out. And so that, that one is a really good one. Plus you can walk by and just harvest and nibble off of it anytime you want. Um, and this was one I'm trying this year because I noticed it at my church um, last year. I have an artich- I have a couple artichokes that I have incorporated. And that foliage, it's a silvery foliage. And if you're mm-hmm. just looking to kind of lighten up the landscape a little bit, so incredible. And the form is really strong. And so if you're really needing a couple little spots just to kind of make a statement and just to have something unique, artichoke might be something and then the flower on it is pretty darn cool as well and so those are a couple things that i would encourage and the other thing you guys will laugh but we don't have remember we don't have a lot of sun so we stick pumpkins and gourds all over and they turn into the best ground cover and weed control for me and some of my beds that i don't have a lot in and so we we are tucking all of those little edibles in all over the place just to kind of make it work. So I just wanted to kind of just give some people some prompting and encouragement to try some different things. There's one other, and it's a nasturtium. Mm-hmm. Once once you uh, have that flower come out, you can actually pluck the flower and put that on your salads. Yes, Jerry, it's funny you mentioned that because I actually have some nasturtium seeds that I picked up that I thought, I'm going to stick this around my patio because I'm just going to want to stick that in a salad if my memory serves me correctly it kind of has a little hot flavor like a radish am i remembering that correctly jerry i i can't remember all i know is that my mother-in-law used to say oh let's put some nasturtiums on our salad and i said okay (laughs) so (laughs) i can't remember the flavor of them at all that's funny you know i i I forgot about another plant that i have in my landscape that's kind of fun And I was blessed with this by the birds, and I do not know where they got this, but I have strawberries, not Mm. the ornamental strawberry, but true strawberries that I will use as it's seeded in in my landscape. And I thought, oh, good idea. And it just acts as a little ground cover for me. And then I get the bonus of the fruit periodically. Now, I will tell you that my dog gets the fruit before I do generally, but it still is another plant that people can add to their landscape that not only looks pretty and functions as a ground cover, but it serves as food source for us as well. Yeah. And it's usually, uh, if they're June bearing, they're usually the first fruit of the season. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, um, we mostly have veggies, of course, but the strawberries that I'm not super successful, Jeff, I know you've been a lot more successful with berries, but I, I think tucking them in your landscape and just having them here and there is, is kind of a fun thing. And it's a fun little surprise if you happen to be out there weeding or something and you get a treat along the way, right? That's right. A little energy boost as you're, as you're out there. <laughs> I also, I, you guys, you, my yard probably sounds like a hodgepodge, but it, it's kind of fun. The birds have blessed me with many things. So they've also dropped, I have wild raspberry that they have dropped into my yard. It, they didn't plant it in the best location, but we get wild raspberry going on. A little bit as well and that's kind of fun so one of my projects is uh this year i am propagating a bunch of apricot seeds that uh or pits that came from my mother's tree in riverton and i'm going to put them all in a tree row in a line where i did not have very good success at trees surviving so uh in about i don't know 20 years 
<laughs> Love it. Whoever whoever lives here after me will have uh, a, a uh, the joyful abundance of apricots. Hopefully, they like them. <laughs> and apric apricot trees are really kind of kind of a cool tree because they grow up. They have a really pretty canopy. Uh, you may or may not get apricots every year because they they flower so early and generally around here they freeze. Yep. But have you had a report on your mom's apricots? Oh, she's lo it's. I was going to say she's loaded. She's loaded. loaded. The the trees that she has at her property are loaded. So my uh, brother's trees in Guernsey are loaded, and I think that the neighbor across the street, it, they look loaded as well. So yeah. maybe a good year. Uh, this this season, and wouldn't you agree, Amy? This colder, slower spring, wetter spring, uh, has really promoted flowering bushes, flowering trees, and that sort of thing. The crab apples have just been phenomenal. The white flowering bushes, whatever they are, the snow there drops. Might be more than, there might be more than one, Jerry. <laughs> I was going to say, the, I, the I don't The snow drops, <laughs> snow, snow drops, snowballs, oh, and, okay. and the, the weeping white ones. I don't know what the names of those are, but they just you're, been spectacular. You're gonna oh. say hydra you're gonna say hydrangela again. I was you? not gonna say <laughs> hydrangelas this time. Oh, that's funny though. But those but would be a van who to spirea. Those white ones that are kind oh, of yeah, drooping and yes. It's either probably a Van Hoot spirea or a bridal veil spirea. It's so interesting. Jerry, you're right. I we we had great temperatures and, and not crazy late freeze. So the flower buds did well and did not get damaged. And I think that we've had some really nice color like we haven't had in years past. Because I think last year, didn't we get a freeze on like the 24th of May last year? It was some really ridiculously late day. Yeah, and I, I think that I hammered think so. some stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So I I think the the beautiful moisture that we got in March, I'm so thankful for, I think really helped out get the moisture in the ground. And then our nice not erratic temperatures in the spring have really helped a lot. Yeah. But I agree with you, Jeff, that if you plant that row of apricots, you'll have a really nice row, if not for yourself, for somebody else. Yeah. And I, I think apricots have uh, spurs on them, don't they? The, the trees, the, the, I wouldn't call them thorns, but I think that might be helpful in uh, a little deer deterrent as well. Yeah. Dennis says that the deer stand up on their hind legs and, and try to eat some of those apricots. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you brought up apricots because that, Jerry, I, I'm so glad that you have such an affection for them. They are a really, really cool tree that we probably should be using more in our landscapes just as an ornamental because their form, like you said, it is cool. And they have pretty good fall color, too. Do, does yours? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Amy, are there different varieties of apricots? My brother says that his are the, the tasteless ones. The table, they don't that's a, disappointing. <laughs> they don't have a lot of ap really strong apricot taste. Oh, the, var the variety that I have, they are very flavorful. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. I don't know if he needs more sugar. <laughs> I don't, whether they need to be on the tree longer or I don't know. Huh. He needs so, he needs a sweeter disposition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Jerry, there are different cultivars of apricots. Yeah. I am not 
extremely well versed in that. And, and I also feel, and you guys, I, I think we let's talk about this a little bit. Do you need to have two different cultivars like with apples for the cross pollination or, or can you have just a single cultivar? Do either of you know, I feel like there is a, you need to have a, there's a, there's like a sun, sun glow and a moon glow that I think you're supposed to have for apricots. Do you guys happen to recall? I don't want to lead your listeners astray. So the variety that my mother has does not seem to need a companion. Okay. Okay. Are there others in town that are maybe cross pollinating with it? Do you think, or is that a pretty odd tree? It would be quite a ways away. Okay. So even like apple trees, apple trees can be fairly far away to be pollinated as well. Can't Mm -hmm. they? Yes. Yep. They most definitely can. And they can be cross pollinated with a crab apple. Right. Oh yeah. So we'll have, we'll have to look that one up to confirm it. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry. I just wanted to make sure that the listeners were aware that they, they might want to look into that if they're really into the fruit production part of it. Yeah. Cause my, cause, uh, Dennis tried to make wine out of the apricots and he said there wasn't really a real strong Mm. apricot flavor. And so I said, Hey, maybe you might have to put some essential oils into your mix. I don't know if that would make a change or if he wanted to make syrup, I don't know if that would enhance his flavoring, but you know, you might have, you might have to do something. Mm -hmm. Done a little little quick, quick, quick research and, uh, Apricots are self-pollinating. Okay, very good. I'm glad you checked on that. Thank you. Yep, now we're clear. Uh, Jerry, I want to let you know, uh, keep talking about the uh, Corlinian cherries, right? Or Cornelian, Corlinian cherries? Cornelian. Cornelian cherries. One of of those Roman names. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was able to plant four of those this year. Uh, They are leafing out. Uh, and we'll see what happens. They do need a, a, a different pollinator. So I have two that will or should produce fruit and two that are just the pollinator, those that provide the pollen. So hopefully they'll survive this winter. They're looking good so far. We'll see what happens. So would that be a male and a female tree then? Uh, no, I think they, uh, um, I just think that they need a different tree to provide uh, the correct pollen so that they are producing fruit. Hmm. And it's, I think they're more of a shrub than a tree. And so is the cherry just a, a like a pie cherry size? Uh, no, I, I don't know, Amy. Do you know anything about them? So I, I don't, I've not had a lot of success growing them. And so I've not, I'm not well versed on that. We, we used to carry them many years ago when I worked at a garden center and we never had great success. So I, I can't add anything to this conversation. Darn. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know one of our guests, Lucinda Mays, has one up at uh, Shadron, or has several of them up there. And I just thought I, I've always been intrigued by them. It, you know, a dogwood, uh, something in the dogwood family that actually has a edible fruit or consumable fruit by humans. So thought I'd give it a try. So if they're growing up in Shadron, and, you know, obviously Lucinda Mays is an incredible horticulturist um, right. and it has been extremely successful getting oddities to grow up there in really tough soil. And so, you know, I, I would definitely defer to Lucinda on making some recommendations to people on 
how to successfully grow them. But, you know, I, I love it when things prove me wrong all the time. I, I love that, especially plants. When I don't think they're going to grow and they do, I'm, I'm well pleased. <laughs> yeah. I, I recently gave a program to a bunch of master gardeners in Riverton. And w- one of the reoccurring themes was you can't ever tell a master gardener not to grow anything. You can't can't tell gardeners, period, not to grow something because they will prove you wrong. (laughs) They they will prove you wrong. And, you know, and I I always reflect on this. You know, our jobs is to make the observations and make the best recommendations for people. But there's always going to be times when people are able to grow stuff because they have this perfect soil and microclimate that just allows things to take off. And, and I always celebrate those victories with those gardeners because that that's what you want to, to push the envelope yeah. a little bit. And that's why people are in gardening because they, they are curious. And I love that. So I have a, had a, an older friend that, that he grew canna lilies on the South side of his brick house. And I said, so when do you dig those up? Well, I don't dig them up. I said, what do you mean? You can't do that. <laughs> and he goes, well, I have, and I can, and so there. And, and I choose I said, not to. Do you, do you mulch them? And he goes, eh, a little bit, maybe, if they get lucky. And I said, oh, okay. So apparently on the south side of your house, maybe you could keep and continue cannas growing uh, and and not have to dig them up. My uncle, who lived in Oklahoma, of course, that's a totally different zone. They never, they never dug theirs. And so we would go there and, and dig some up and bring them home and plant them. And, of course, they would die in the winter and we'd go, hey, we need more cannas. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting to the point where I dislike digging them anymore and may have to give them up. So start planting them on the south side of your buildings, Jerry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep them alive. Now, our dahlias, we, uh, I don't know, we're doing something wrong with dahlias because they they get too wet in the winter as we're storing them and they mm. rot. So uh, have to have to do some research oh. on that. Oh, and you're storing them. How are you storing them? In sawdust, not sawdust, but in uh, animal pine chips that we buy from the feed store. And just putting them, cleaning them up and then putting them in a box with the, with the wood chips and then putting them down into a wood, down into a cellar, an outside Uh, cellar. So you said a couple of things there that confused me. What's, what's an animal pine chip? (laughs) <laughs> Those darn squirrels with that. Uh, it's a bag of it's for animals it's for the kids for fair and they always have it out okay in front of the feed store and says hey animal bedding there we go okay all right there we go I, I, i'm bedding. easily confused you gotta you gotta speak plainly for oh, me yeah. you know what <laughs> i have that effect on people uh, so so maybe you shouldn't put them in your cellar. It's probably too humid in there. Too humid because they suck that water right up and the cannas do well. They come out just like a, a real firm potato. Try, try the, putting them in your like in the back of your closet in your house so it's drier. That, that would drier. be my suggestion. Amy, your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I, I feel very fortunate. 
I, on our park board for the city of Deering, we have Dr. Don Gentry, who is a Dahlia fanatic. And he digs, he has all these incredible varieties of Dahlias and he digs them and he wraps them in newspaper, if, if I remember correctly, and stores them in his basement. And he has incredible success every year. But I, I think I might, um, I'm going to check with him. And if I have anything to report back to you on what makes him so successful, I will share that with you, Jerry. Um, oh, I'd appreciate that. Mm-hmm. He's, his, he has, his yard is incredible. He has probably a 30 by 30 space that he just has dahlias in and he grows all these different kinds and they're, it's pretty remarkable. Jerry wants yeah. a tour. Yeah. I, I would like a tour. I'd like to have a conversation with him. Jerry, I can make that happen. Okay. Because uh, dahlias, if you've never grown them, they're a fairly easy plant to grow, and the results are very rewarding. Some of those dahlias are the size of a dinner plate, and so what's that, six to eight inches? The most varieties are not, and the spider dahlias, they're just kind of real flimsy little petals, hence the spidering look. They're they're nice and spectacular as well. So I I think that dahlias I think are incredible, and I think it's so funny, Jerry, because you said they're really easy to grow. I I cannot grow them for anything, so they may stay alive. They never bloom for me. I and so I, I just love the talent that different gardeners have because everybody has has their own art on on the way that they can make these things successful and so um do you feed your dahlias all the time jerry i mean do you, are they heavy feeders what do you do to make it so beautiful he plunks them in the ground and they grow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like my wife says you put them in the you, you put them in the ground you give them a little kiss a little drink of water and you walk away do, um, do, you, do they like can they be overwatered i mean do you let them dry out a little bit sure Sure. We do do it all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just like roses, I don't think you want to water them late at night because, you know, they can get uh, some fungal stuff happening on them. And yeah, they like a little bit of, we use a rose fertilizer on them once in a while when we can remember to get around to it. And not much, not, not much. So here's the answer. Amy, you're loving yours too much. Yeah, That's what I think. Sometimes we love them too much. And if I just kind of neglect it, well, you know, the reason I'm asking is because, you know, we have this new plaza in downtown Gearing and we're always trying to try new things at the plaza. That's one of the purposes for having it. And as you mentioned dahlias, I thought, oh, that would be stunning to have dahlias incorporated into the landscape there, but I'm, I'm not successful. So we might have to swap some information, Jerry, on, on how we can get dahlias to grow down there. In All our right. So I'll be picking on my wife and she says, why are you picking on me? I said, cause I love you. And she'll say, love me less. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we could say the same thing about your dahlias. Um, Quite well taken. <laughs> on, honestly, you know, I, I stir up the soil a little bit. I put a, a, a moat around them and, oh, you should stake them. Okay. You should stake them as you plant them because they'll need a little bit of support because they get about how tall how tall do yours get jerry well they vary some are the the shorter shorter guys and 
most of them are about uh, between a foot and two foot. Oh, oh, you need to come to um, Dr. Don's house because he has some that are like four feet tall or, or yeah. taller. Yeah. So those are the big ones and the big varieties. And you really need to stake them. Okay. So, so love less, support more. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is a, a marriage encounter here. <laughs> Family counseling. Family counseling through gardening. <laughs> hey, I, I think we're getting close to our to the end of our program. Jerry, is there anything going on uh, this weekend in the in the uh, area that we need to know about? You need to start going and looking now at Iris. There are some yeah, really pretty and i know your wife doesn't like yellow but on d street there are some three foot yellow iris mm -hmm. and they are just gorgeous and i had to drive around a couple of times to look at them and i was hoping to find somebody outside i may have to go knock on their door and ask could i have well, one um you you shouldn't say that she doesn't like yellow she would just like she would just like a little more variety than the yellow versions that we have she needs to come out to my house and 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 uh, trade. We need to do some swapping. You do, you do. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, go ahead. That, that's all. That's all I've got. And and thank you for allowing us into your homes for an hour of giggles and laughter and maybe a little education about gardening. Let Let's hope a little education. Ho hopefully, it's a little educational and, and family therapy. Uh, Amy, thank you for being our guest today. Uh, we really appreciate you joining our program, and we we hope you come back again. Thanks. It's always great to be with you guys. I learn a lot. Thank you. Thanks, Amy. <laughs> we, we learn a lot as well. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Lawn and Garden with the University of Wyoming Extension Specialist, Jeff Edwards, and co-host Jerry Urshabek. As the snow melts and the sun breaks, the University of Wyoming Extension has many upcoming virtual and hybrid learning programs available to you. Listen each week for details on new events and how to make your garden flourish. Good day and happy gardening.